Welcome back to another episode of the Tiga Tactics podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Preparis. I'm joined by one of the Tiga Tactics co-founders, Patrick Vuong. Patrick, say hi. What's up, interwebs? Yeah. Today, we're going to be deep diving into Patrick's background. I'm super excited because I love hearing about all the different styles and training he's done over the years and um, just kind of div- show you a little bit of where Tiga Tactics came from uh, through, through some of his personal background. So we'll just, I'm just going to turn it over to you, Patrick, and I will interject as I see fit to ask some follow-up questions and some clarification. So I guess just kind of tell me about how you started getting involved in martial arts and uh, start taking me through that journey. I have been obsessed with martial arts ever since I was, oh, well, actually, I don't even remember a time before martial arts. That's how <laughs> it's, that's how embedded it is in my life. Uh, and I, I have to, you know, thank three people. The first person is my my father, not because he's a martial artist, but because he had a love for martial arts. He, he this kind of is really in my DNA. But when he was a kid, he would go to the movie theater and watch uh, old Chinese movies with his dad because his dad is Chinese. And so he, he would, uh, my grandfather would take my dad to go watch these old, you know, uh, wuxia movies, uh, the old period piece kung fu movies. And uh, he became obsessed with with kung fu movies, and so when uh, we when I got older, uh, he would uh, you know we didn't have kung fu movie theaters in Canada where I was born and raised, but uh, you know we obviously had VHS, and so we'd watch VHS tapes of kung fu movies, and um, that's that's the the paternal side of my family. That's where the martial arts love comes from. But on my maternal side. Um, Apparently, we we have martial arts all through my lineage, and uh, I'm not sure if my cousin Conrad, when you guys listen to his, uh, you know, martial arts specific uh, podcast, I don't know if he delved into that at all. But uh, not really, my co-founder. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, my co-founder Conrad, uh, he he and I are cousins, and um, my my mother, we share the, we share we're on. He's my cousin on my maternal side, um, and our mothers are sisters, and they and my mother told me that uh, our her uncles. And her, I guess, granduncles, um, they were all martial artists. And they would do like crazy training where uh, they would dig a hole in the ground and they jump out of the hole. And over time, they dig a deeper hole until they could just jump out, you know, <laughs> almost like almost like box jumping. But like back right. in the day, you know, reverse and, box uh, jumping. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Right, right. Yeah. Because, you know, they, this is like the 1920s. Who, where are you going to find a box to jump on? You know, so um and uh yeah and you know of course the legend grows that you know yeah it was eight feet deep and they can jump out with one with one with one single try so uh yeah so apparently we we've had uh, a whole lineage of martial artists uh, and then they got into the military and they fought fought different wars uh to defend vietnam so um so yeah i'm, I'm i've got the, the chinese martial arts side i've got the Vietnamese martial arts side and uh the second person who, who influenced my training was bruce lee you know uh in after the 70s you know he became humongous and my dad of course immediately loved him and and so i like i said before i have no memory of a time there of bruce lee not being in my life and so uh he was just a powerful influence uh, i remember uh you know reacting like him when i was like three years old and doing all the sound effects like, you know and like kicking and fighting with my my cousins and and messing around and reenacting into the dragon, which now that I look back, I probably not should, I should not have been watching that when I was three years old because <laughs> it's an R rated movie. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's some uh, drug use, violence, nudity. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, I just, just a huge influence. And in as I got older into my teens, I started reading up about him um, and uh, learning his life and realizing that he was also a philosopher too. And, not just this dude who's in movies and he founded his own system of martial arts. And so I was, I was like, wow, this guy's really cool. And, um, and for a long time, he was really the only uh, Asian person in mainstream media in, you know, in the West, you know, Canada and America. So, uh, and then the third person who influenced my, my love of martial arts is, uh, as I mentioned before, my cousin Conrad, He's he's my older cousin, and so uh, I've you know he all my life he's been a martial artist. He's been a black belt. I, I didn't know him before he was a black belt, so I only know him martial artist. So uh, he gave me a lot of tips growing up on on self defense and things like that. And then I'd always wanted to do it 
even when I was like three years old imitating Bruce Lee, but my parents never let me enroll in formal training because I had as I have asthma. I still have asthma. And they always thought that, oh man, if he does any sort of athletic endeavor, he'll just die. <laughs> they would literally say, no, you might die. You can't, you can't do this. <laughs> so, um, and I always thought that like, they were just babying me, but, uh, but as I got older, I realized like, oh yeah, I did have several, you know, asthma attacks when I was a kid. I could have easily died, especially if they're not around to, to help me. So I, I, I always felt like uh, uh, I was, I don't know, that they didn't care for me. But uh, but in turn, they were actually there trying to save my life. So uh, I, I, uh, I appreciate the concern. But uh, eventually I, I joined uh, Northern, a Northern Shaolin Kung Fu school. And uh, that was my first foray into formalized training. But uh, before I get deep into that, uh, you know, I did want to say that Conrad did Show me some of his Taekwondo, some of his uh, Jeet Kune Do, some of his Kali at the time. Uh, this is in the, the, the early 90s. Um, and I remember writing letters to him because this was before email. This is how old I am. <laughs> we didn't have email at the time. So I couldn't just, you know, and, and uh, calling long distance, for those of you who are not old enough, it's you just expensive. can't. Like, yeah, you couldn't it's just turn on yourself. It was like a big <laughs> deal to call long distance. Yeah. I remember being like, like my parents would be like, I'm calling Greece. I'd be like, <gasps> you know. <laughs> We can't yeah. afford that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the call must have been like a hundred dollars or something. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like super yeah. quick. All right, just say hi. Just say hi to your, you know, your great aunt or whatever, and then we'll <laughs> hang up real quick. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we, I never dared call him long distance. So we, we had to write letters on paper and mail it. And um, I would ask him, hey, what martial arts should I learn? I'm, I'm about ready, and he would kind of give me some suggestions. The problem is, like, I, I grew up in. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which, um, you know, Edmonton is the capital city of Alberta. So you'd think, hey, it's a capital city. It should be pretty big. But it's actually pretty small. It's a small-ish city, um, small to medium. Now it's growing. But uh, back then, there weren't a lot of martial arts schools. You know, you had, you had the typical kung fu schools, but they were kind of secretive. They didn't really, you know, market. So it was hard to find them. And then, of course, you had taekwondo and karate. Uh, but I wanted to try to do something that that was as close to Bruce Lee as possible. And we all know that Bruce Lee did his own version of Kung Fu. So I was trying to find Kung Fu schools, couldn't really find them. Uh, and then I saw the UFC, uh, again, on VHS ta tape, somebody recorded it illegally. And I uh, saw these guys like grappling and, you know, ground and pound and all this. Stuff. I was like, oh man, I got to learn that jujitsu. I don't know what the heck this is. It's not judo. It's not wrestling. What is this? And of course, there are no Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu schools in Edmonton. <laughs> you know, there are barely any in America, uh, let alone in Canada. So uh, no, I, I tried finding school. one in early 2000s and I couldn't. Mm. It was like none. I was like, oh, I guess I'll do karate instead. <laughs> so. And, and where, where, where were you in New Jersey? Uh, I was in Long Island, Long Island, New York. Island, That's like yeah. a mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's suburbs like the length of Long Island. It's just like so, like wall to wall or, you know, end to end mm -hmm. suburbs. And mm -hmm. I couldn't find a. a I mean, I, I guess I looked in my hometown and like the neighboring ones. I didn't, I didn't look that far, but there was not a Brazilian mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu school. Um, this was like 2003, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and right, UFC uh, had been around for almost almost a decade by that point, mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. a decade. So, yeah, that's crazy. And uh, my my current Brazilian jiu-jitsu professor right now, Professor Danny Suarez, he actually grew up in New York in in the city, and he said in the late 90s. You know, obviously, UFC has been well known amongst martial artists by then. By that time, he could not find a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, so he actually learned judo and wrestling. Uh -huh. And a guy, and a guy who taught him Japanese jiu-jitsu, because that was kind of like his holdover until he could learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Because he he was competing in mixed martial arts, and and he needed to find that missing piece. So it's interesting that yeah, like despite how much. The, how much of a big deal UFC was? It was. It's still hard. And and to me, New York City, the East Coast, that's a that's a hub of martial arts too. Yeah, yeah. So for you to have problems finding it, that that's how rare it was uh, yeah. in the at the turn of the century. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the kung fu style. So it was a lot of a lot of forms. Was there sparring? Was there pressure test or anything? Or was it uh, like more self development, flexibility type stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, this was a, a it was called Northern Shaolin Chunfa, which Chunfa basically means fist way, and uh, but you know we just when people ask we just oh we just do kung fu Shaolin kung fu, uh, and, and Shaolin being the 
you know, the famous temple where all the monks train and stuff like that. So Northern Shaolin. So this is a cool thing. Uh, my teacher didn't know this, but of course Conrad knew this, that because it was from it was Northern Shaolin, it was the Northern part of China. A lot of people, uh, if you looked at it and you didn't know that we were practicing Kung Fu, you'd think it was Taekwondo because there was a lot of high kicking. And Conrad explained to me that basically a lot of the Taekwondo that he learned had come from Northern China so basically, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. And so uh, my style, the Northern Shaolin system, was basically the predecessor to, to a lot of the, the high-kicking Korean systems. Interesting. And yeah, yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. So I felt really honored to learn this, uh, this system that predated a lot of things that we know now in modern times. And uh, it was, it's a, I would say that the system was a pretty good mix of everything in terms of traditional martial arts. So you'd, mm -hmm. you'd have to, we'd do tons of stretching because again, we'd, we'd have to do a lot of kicking. So we'd warm up a little bit. We'd do a lot of stretching. Uh, we would uh, do traditional blocks, stances, things like that. We'd do, uh, you know, what we call two-step sparring where like one person would punch, the other person would defend and counter. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Would, yeah, yeah. And then we would do sparring. Sparring was a big part because we entered a lot of competitions. So we'd do a lot of both karate tournaments, kung fu tournaments, and just open tournaments. So you could be fighting any style. And um, and then we did forms. And forms was definitely a big part of it, too. So forms, uh, for people who don't know, are you know, basic kata is pre-ranged movements where it looks like you're fighting imaginary bad guys. Uh, and, and it's basically just a catalog of all your techniques. Yeah. And... Uh, that's another cool thing with Northern Shaolin is that if you looked at the at least the first few forms of Northern Shaolin, it looked very similar to the forms that you might find in karate or in Taekwondo. And that's because both the Japanese, the early Japanese martial artists and the early Korean martial artists, they literally just taught, they learned the Kung Fu system and then they adapted it to their own. So I think for a time, um, certain karate styles certain korean systems their first few forms were literally my kung fu forms uh so it was really cool it was based on the eye pattern on the ground um the letter i the letter i uh so it was pretty cool to, to have that shared lineage yeah well, well next time we meet up I, i'm i don't know if you still remember some of them i'd be curious to see some of the basic movements because the uh style of uh kempo karate i did was supposedly comes from shaolin roots and our first mm -hmm. couple of forms are come in that eye pattern where you come like on the, mm -hmm. the base of the eye and then you up the stem and then across the top and then back down. Yes, um, yes. So I'm uh, curious to see yeah, how yeah, they align. And that's the cool thing to, one of the cool things uh, about martial arts and why I stuck to it is because you, you learn about history and culture and warfare because of that overlap. You know, there's always a sharing of, of culture when, when different countries and, and nations come together to whether it's the fight or whether it's the you know do trade, and and so yeah, like it's it's pretty cool to to see how Japanese uh, take a form and, and modify it to their own. And uh, yeah, I'd love to 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 kind of trade notes with you when we get together again. Um, Northern Shaolin. So so that was my first formal system. Uh, you know, I dabbled a bunch of stuff because my friend, my friends, and my family. I, you know, Aikido, Wing Chun, Jeet Kune Do, Kali, Taekwondo, because of Conrad. Um, so. But Northern Shaolin was really my first art, and I did it for about two years. I got to green belt, which uh, in our system that's about intermediate, and uh, and I had to stop. And it was more of a uh, what is it a a a, 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 con uh, a moral dilemma for me? Uh, not not because I didn't want to train, and not not because I wasn't good at it. Uh, it was because I found out my instructor was kind of a fraud, sort of, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um he uh he was a very good martial artist uh and he he mentored me but um i started to realize that he's kind of a bit of a fraud he would you know northern shaolin if you, if you know martial arts you know that the the shaolin martial arts generally you you have a certain set of weapons uh they're usually non-lethal but you know they, we we do have swords and things like that but then all of a sudden one summer he started teaching the nunchaku or the nunchucks and I'm thinking, wait a minute, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not a black belt, but I know that nunchucks are Okinawan or Japanese. Yeah. 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 They, they have nothing to do with China or Shaolin monks. This is really weird. 
And so he started teaching one of the brown belts this nunchuck for me. I was like, oh, that's weird, weird, weird. Okay, whatever. You know, maybe, maybe somewhere along the line it came from China. I don't know. And then I went to our local martial arts supply store and I started talking to the owner. And the owner's like, oh yeah, your your instructor here. He he was here, uh, you know, a few months ago. He bought my nunchuck video. I was like, what? Like he was. <laughs> Apparently he had bought these, I don't know who made these videos, but he started buying all these videos uh, from other systems and trying to memorize them and teach them to his students and pawn them off as like his own system or as part of the Northern Northern Shaolin system. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is very suspicious. And I'm, you know, if you get to know me, I'm, a, I'm, I was always raised to be, you know, have integrity and be honest. And, and when it came to martial arts, I was even more like, quote unquote religious about it and so to have an instructor teach something that is not part of our system but to claim that it is or to claim that as part of his history it just seemed really shady to me and then <laughs> I, I, uh, I stuck around for a little bit more I felt very uncomfortable but I stuck around a little bit more because I wasn't quite at brown belt so I didn't have to worry about learning that stupid mention form um, not that it's stupid because I'm sure it was fine uh, but it was in Northern Shaolin and um He's, I found out that he started like, uh, you know, flirting with all the female students. That's why they stopped showing up. And I don't, mm. there was like rumor that he like, you know, nowadays he would have been totally canceled. Nowadays he, they would, they would say that he was a sexual abuser and all this stuff. But, you know, back in the nineties, you know, they would have been, been like, oh, he's a, he's a little horny. And then they would just like, you know, write it off as that. Right. But, right. Uh, I, right. But nowadays he definitely would have been canceled. So apparently he would say some inappropriate stuff and like try to like flirt with them and maybe touch them and things like that uh and maybe possibly grope them so i that was kind of like the last straw for me where i'm like i can't i can't i don't want to go all the way to black belt and be known as a student of this fraudulent possibly you know criminal instructor so as i've gotten more into martial arts it's interesting to hear stories like that where like you have to remember just because someone's really good at one specific thing doesn't necessarily mean they are knowledgeable about everything, you know, and they, they, they get put mm-hmm. on this pedestal because of their martial arts skill, probably mm-hmm. justifiably so because they're an instructor. Right. But right. then they start giving out, you know, more detailed life advice. And then they start using that position of power to influence maybe people who, um, who are their students who are in this, uh, inferior position and right. take advantage of them. So, you know, just something to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're, 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 Connor and I are, you know, a lot of people ask, send us emails and say, yeah, where, what should I trade in and, and where should I go? And we always, we always say, um, you got to go there. You got to watch the instructor teach. You obviously do a Google search that will come up with, uh, you know, if he's been arrested for anything or if she's been arrested for anything. Um, and, and just really get to know him as a person because the style honestly doesn't really matter too much. Uh, it does, but it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like when you're starting off, it honestly any style is better than no style. And sure. Connor and I are very, uh, we're very non-denominational. We we're not <laughs> true, be- we're not true believers. I love when you training. say you guys say that. I think it's hysterical. Yeah. yeah, we believe that any training is better than no training. Uh, yeah, and, and especially when you first start. As you get better, obviously, you know you'll want to funnel into more specific styles that are more effective. But, and it'll also uh, depend but, on your goals, right? I mean, some people are in it for fitness, some are in it for social atmosphere, some are want like I I want stuff I can actually use on the street 100%. Other people are in it for sport and competition, right? right? So that's right. going to play a huge role um, in addition to your personality, right? Like sometimes you fit better with one school as opposed to another school. So, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you got to look at your own goals and then based on that, you ask the instructors a lot of questions, you know. Uh, where did they learn? Who was your instructor? Uh, you know, what do you do if uh, this happens in class? Um, you got to ask them the, you know, it should seem like very innocent questions, but how they answer will really give you a big clue of how they are as a person, yeah. just as a teacher. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was interesting to, to kind of like, and again, I was just a teenager, but I kind of started getting that weird feeling that this instructor is probably not somebody I want to be associated with so I, I i took some time off and i was probably i stopped training probably for a few months and then when that's when my friends uh my childhood friends actually they they just swung by again we don't have cell phones there's no text messaging no email and they just swung by literally rang the doorbell and said hey uh you are you still training and i was like no i'm not and they're like great because you can join our kempo school uh and so just by sheer you know coincidence uh, they were looking to recruit more people and uh, and i was looking for 
replace the train. I I, I was kind of like um, not 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 totally turned off by martial arts, but you know, I I, I don't know if you wouldn't call it depressed, but I, I was just kind of like I want to take a big step back. It lost yeah. some of its mystique. It's lost, you know, it's mm-hmm. a little yeah. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't really actively searching for an instructor and they just happened to pop by and uh, it was it's a great thing that they did because their instructor turned out to be Margit Hilbig, Master Margit Hilbig and um she was the first female black belt in Canada. Uh and I had eventually done some research and I uh, got to know her really well and, and we thought that she was the first black belt period but turned out there was a judo black belt who who got uh, awarded before her. Uh, but she was the first. So we say she's the first karate black belt awarded in Canada. Um, and uh, she was a very unique individual. Anybody who's done martial arts for a long time, Canada will know who she is because she was uh, very influential in spreading martial arts, especially in Western uh, Canada. And um, I'd never thought to, you know, not to be sexist, but I'd never thought to train with a, a woman before. But once I met her, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to definitely you know, stick with her. Uh, she was this five foot three uh, German woman. Um, she was an orphan during World War II and basically just, you know, not raised herself, but kind of, you know, like just a very determined individual who didn't take BS from anybody, uh, moved to Canada on her own, more or less, um, and started training with, in the 60s, she started training with Ed, Ed Parker in, in his Kimbo system. And she got to meet Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. And, you know, whenever they came to train, she got to train with them. And of course, she'd always tell me like they were just regular people. They weren't world famous at the time. So it, it, would, it would just be like, hey, Joe, what's going on? You know, or hey, Bob, what's new? Like they were just regular people to her. Right. And then later on, they blew up. And <clears throat> and so it's just kind of cool to have her bring that that history to our training sometimes, too. And and uh, she's a very unique individual. And she trained like old school style. So she didn't do a lot of screaming, but she looked at you in a certain way, you knew you messed up and <laughs> you better smart enough, you know, uh, she, she read it very much old school kind of militaristic, uh, you know, the, everybody has rank, everybody's got a bow, uh, you, sh- you know, keep your mouth shut when we're teaching you that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you did something wrong, you got to do pushups. Uh, so very, in, in my opinion, that's what martial arts training is, but nowadays it might seem a little harsh. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I, I learned a lot from her. I eventually got my black belt, uh, my first degree black belt through her in her Kempo system. Uh, I do have to say for 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 the, the hardcore martial artists, it's not the Kempo that you see nowadays. Uh, it's it's more or less the Kempo that she learned in the late mid to late 60s. So it's uh, I would not say it's modern uh, in any way, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's just older. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean? yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Evan, what what's Kempo did you learn? So, uh, supposedly comes from Shaolin Kempo. It's a uh, Shaolin Kempo. So it's <laughs> this the grandmaster that lives in Kansas City. Like he, it's his. He was a break off of one of the. Uh, was it U? Oh, I can't remember the acronym. Was U- it USSD. Yeah, that's it. That's what it was. So it's a break <laughs> off of that, and he modified it based off of all the different styles he's trained. So gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So ours, yours is probably more modern than ours. Um, my my Kempo system is even older than that. So. Yeah. Yeah, like it, we, on a couple of my belt tests, we like we actually rolled like did jujitsu in the mm-hmm. like as part of the belt test, and oh, so cool. there's still some there was still like a lot of traditional stuff and bowing and like some forms and stuff, mm-hmm. some traditional weapons. But there's also um, like I had we had a lot of really good sparring, and I think you know it's a it's a several schools in the area. Um, my personal instructor, I just I feel like I really clicked well with him, and I'm. If I had not not saying anything bad about the other instructors, but if I had gone to one of the other schools, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much. I'll just mm-hmm. say that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. The, your instructor makes a huge difference, uh, obviously, as uh, I've encountered as well, and and so that makes a big that's a big part of it too. And uh, so I, I, you know, I, so it's an older Kimbo system, but as as Connor likes to say, hey, there's nothing wrong with a, with a '68 Ford Mustang. You know, they're still really cool, but obviously, in performance wise, they don't compare against a 2023 or 2024 Ford Mustang, right? So uh, I always thought that was a great analogy is to use, uh, you know, muscle cars. Uh, mm. And so my, my my Kempo system, I love my Kempo system, uh, but it's definitely not a modern system. So um, I eventually moved away from, from Canada. I, went, I moved to California to to uh, 
to go to university to study journalism. So I uh, started training at the Kung Fu Club at my university at Cal State Fullerton. It's the Cal State Fullerton Kung Fu Club. And our Kung Fu there was a hybrid Kung Fu system. Um, and because I'd always want to be like Bruce Lee, even though it's not Jeet Kune Do, Bruce Lee system, uh, it was still, you know, kind of closer to him because it was a Chinese system. But it was a hybrid system. So I would combine Hungar, Choi the Foot, some other uh, family systems, mix it all together. And uh, it was very, I would say it was very Kung Fu, but just not to any specific branch. So we did, you know, we we did the the five animal techniques with tiger claw and you know all that stuff the snake uh we have a lot of forms i i learned even more forms um nothing compared to what conrad knows he he knows literally like dozens and dozens but uh in my system i think i ended up having to memorize like 13 12 or 13 forms mm. uh, and i eventually earned my my second degree back on that system and uh, i really like that system because it was similar enough to kempo but but a little bit more, I don't want to say more practical because it's still a traditional martial art, but a little more sneaky. So we would advocate for kicking to the balls. We would advocate for, you know, putting your fingers in people's eyeballs. Uh, you know, yeah. we would basically advocate all the cheating that, you know, it would be dishonorable in Kempo. Uh, so that was that was kind of a cool aspect to, to learn more, dirt, quote unquote, dirty fighting. Nice. And, nice. Uh, yeah, and and so I really love that. I really love that system. But uh, again, it's still traditional martial art, right? So it, it's not going to be the first thing that I would teach somebody uh, if they want to defend themselves on the street. But as a martial artist, I loved it because we we use the weapons. We'd have staff, sword, the quando, which is the big halberd with a massive blade on the end of a stick. Uh, uh, just a, a lot of really cool weapons that you know you see in all those. Chinese movies uh, I got to learn how to use them <clears throat> and that taught me how you know uh, you know you, 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 no one's going to be walking down the street with a halberd in their hand right but but I could easily adapt those techniques to like a broomstick or in my case I'm Canadian so I'd have hockey stick <laughs> um, or or if you think about the shorter weapons you know they could be like baseball bats or flashlights and things like that and so it taught me to pick up a weapon and make it a part of my body so it wasn't just this thing that i'm swinging wildly it was immediately like an extension of my bone that's the way that we were taught nice. at the moment you pick up this staff or this halberd it, it is an extension of your bone so when you move it moves nice i've i've, I've learned uh some of them by some of the weapon systems i self-taught some of them i've actually been like school trained <laughs> but i i've liked that um once I feel like some of the movements you learn with one weapon system, a lot of times they'll carry over. It's like very similar where it's like, oh, I know how to do that with a knife. Well, now I can do it with a staff and now I can do it with nunchucks. It's like almost the same <laughs> hand movement. Um, so I really like that. And as far as body mechanics and stuff like that. And plus, I think it's fun. I call them a lot of my weapons stuff. I call it stupid human tricks, right? Because it's just like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like am I going to fight someone with nunchucks? Probably not. I was like, what? <laughs> You know, it's entertaining, and uh, yes. it's like a for the I guess the modern generation, it's like big fidget spinners, right? Like you exactly spin them around, and you keep your hands, mind occupied, lets you work on something. So yes, yes, I I, I don't want to offend millions of people uh, or or stomp at anybody's ancestors, but I, I do have to say, like the nunchaku, like I I can use it. I'm not probably I'm probably not as good as you. I can use it. Uh, it's a lot of fun to use, but I think they're the worst martial <laughs> art weapon ever devised known to mankind they're pretty uh, bad like if, if you if you want to like hurt yourself or knock yourself out by all means pick up a pair of nunchucks oh I, i've hit myself in the elbow with a nunchuck with nunchucks mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i made my whole arm go numb like i mean like if i was in a real situation like someone would have just mauled me because i couldn't move yeah. my hand i was like oh no i'm in my driveway like screaming right right yeah but, yeah it's it's extremely painful the whole idea of of using a flexible weapon that is so short and you don't have full control over it it just boggles the mind but you know we as you know you know it came from okinawa and it was disguised as a as a farming implement and, that, yeah. and that's how the okinawans justified using it but but in terms of warfare or self-defense oh man i i definitely 
would not pick that. That would be the last weapon. <laughs> Agreed. The, the effective range is so specific. Like if you're too far, it's it's absolutely no good. And then if you're too close, it's also like really bad. There's like a very small window where it's like, this will hurt you. And it really won't hurt. Like it'll hurt to the point where you'll be like, ow, dude, that really hurt. Like, you know, it's not going to, like the guy's going to attack you like really hard. Afterwards. Right. Yeah. I've also heard some interesting, we won't get into it now. I've heard some interesting things about like some of the, Okinawan heritage and some of the weapons basically basically being like the only people who had time to do martial arts were the wealthier class so a lot mm -hmm. of the like supposed farming original farming usage is like not actually true yeah and I, I wouldn't be surprised because there are just so many again you know martial arts myths uh, you know Connor and I delve into this these martial arts fantasies martial arts myths uh, yeah. a lot of these things that are told passed down are just folk tales basically yeah, well, we'll have, maybe we'll have to dive into some of those on a different episode. But all right, let's Absolutely. keep Absolutely. keep cruising, keep cruising here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so after I uh, I got my secondary black belt in kung fu, uh, our our system name is Lai Chung Chun Fa. Um, Lai Chung was the Chinese name of our founder, and Chun Fa means this way, basically. Uh, well, we named it that because um, he had been his name is Ted Lai, but his Chinese name is uh, Lai Chung. Um, he'd been teaching Kung Fu since the 70s, uh, around the same time as Bruce Lee, actually. Uh, and, and like Bruce Lee, he didn't discriminate. He taught it to everybody and anybody. Um, but he had just called it Kung Fu. He, he never named it. He never named it anything in particular. And so we named it after him uh, in his honor um, because he was you know, humble and didn't want to didn't want to seem like he created a whole system uh, on his own. Uh, he didn't he didn't have that ego. So. But anyway, uh, so after Lai Chung Chun Fa, I, I started training in um, Bikini Tersha Kali, which is a Filipino martial art system. And that's when I really got a, an eye-opening experience in weapons. Uh, you know, if you know Filipino martial arts, you know that its specialty is knife, sword, stick. But there's also empty hand and wrestling as well. And so Bikini Tersha is, is, is a very effective traditional martial art it's still a, it's still a traditional system but i'd say it's very effective the the applications to self-defense there are are a lot more much more applicable in real life uh, a little more modern uh there the there are flow drills and, and like very specific disarms and things like that that maybe don't apply uh, realistically, but but generally speaking, if you learn the concepts, you'll you'll be able to apply them much more uh, readily in a in a life and death situation for real. And uh, so I'm a I'm a group leader, certified instructor in that under Tuhan Jared Wihongi. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's a SWAT officer, yeah, famous, you know, yeah, yeah, SWAT officer, uh, defensive right. tactics instructor. He teaches uh, special operation forces all over the world. And uh, he's been a lifelong martial artist as well. Uh, so I've been fortunate enough to to train under him. Uh, he's a uh, exceptional athlete, but also a, a really cool human being. And uh, I got to got to hear a lot of his uh, interesting stories. Um, and just uh, everybody as a part of our Piketty Tusha Tactical Association, uh, they're all just really cool, very humble. They're all very deadly, but uh, very welcoming. And uh, that kind of opened my eyes. I, I do have to throw in a caveat that um, Conrad did expose me to Kali much, much earlier, probably like 15 years earlier than that. So I kind of had the, a foundation of how Filipino martial arts works with the flow drills, the angles and things like that. But with Pekiti, uh, some of the angles are slightly different, but the, the concepts all work. You know, every, every good Filipino martial arts system will emphasize the triangle footwork, they'll emphasize the, the basic angles whether you call you number them the same way or not and um how to close that gap from long range medium and short and uh, so i'm very fortunate to to still be learning this system and uh, to be teaching it as well uh just a very fun fun and deadly system uh and then in, in addition to that i i am also a handgun instructor so i've been doing firearms for a while um i I used to be the senior editor of Recoil magazine, which is a gun lifestyle magazine. And, and, and through that, I got really a deep dive into the, the tactical world. That's where I got to meet a lot of special operation forces, uh, veterans and those current currently in service, um, you know, sailors, soldiers, 
paratroopers, all of them, uh, all amazing people. So I got to learn their mindset. And that really got me interested into uh, really delving into firearms. And I know that's kind of like a political topic nowadays. And a lot of people, uh, you know, hate it or want to abolish it. And some people love it. And it's all that's their entire life. Um, to me, I, 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 I try not to make it political, you know, whatever you believe in, in terms of firearms, that's, that's really up to you. But the way I look at it is a, is a firearm is just another tool. Uh, yeah. If you go back centuries, you know, the samurai, they used firearms as well. You know, they didn't think of it as like, Oh, I can't use this. This is, this is evil. But my katana, that's not evil. You know, to me, they're all tools and it's how you use them that determines whether you're good or bad. And yeah. so I think of a firearm as just another inanimate object. And I, 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 you know, I love almost all weapons. You know, if I, if I laid all my weapons on the ground and you said, hey, pick the best one, I, I would be like choosing your favorite child. You know, like yeah. that would be painful to me. But, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge that in the current situation, firearms are the most effective tool that you could have. And so why not have that at your disposal? You know, as Conrad taught me, when I was much younger, uh, he didn't come up with a saying because it's everywhere, but he basically told me it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Right. And, and so that's why I delved into that. I started training in it. Uh, really, I first started training in firearms so that I knew how to stop it or, uh, you know, AKA stop it or disarm somebody who has a gun. And then as I got into training, I realized that's, that's very difficult to do, okay. but Hey, you know what, let's just dive in and learn everything that I can about this, about this tool. Because as we like to say, um, the the knife, the gun, the stick, that's your tool. You are the weapon. Don't make the tool the weapon and you become the tool, right? So uh, study as much as you can, learn everything that you can, and then uh, be able to adapt as quickly as possible to to what you're given and what you what what is a part of your own tool set. And not to me, I, I try to stay away from the pol politics of it. Um, because I believe that's a personal thing. Uh, yeah. And really, it should just be about training, your own training, making you the weapon, you making you as deadly as possible. Yeah, I agree. And I think some, some people, when they see, when they hear guns, they don't, like to me, guns is still part of martial arts, right? They get, like you were saying, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just another tool. Um, I think sometimes in America, you know, we're like, oh, well, you know, boxing's boxing, wrestling's wrestling, and firearms are firearms. Then there's martial arts, which is all Asian stuff. And it's like, well, <laughs> now I would like wrestling's, a mar wrestling's part of martial arts, like boxing's part of martial arts. Mm -hmm. I, firearms is part of martial arts, right? Um, yes. So in the, even even within the army, right, we have a combatives program. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, that's just like army's fight club. And it's like, well, like part of our basic and tactical and master's course, we talk about weapons retention and, you know, uh, you know, transitioning to other weapons and stuff like that. So, right. So it's still, it's part of our style, uh, the, mm -hmm. the implementation and use of weapons. So that's, right. um, something as a, someone who's involved in the army combatives program, like a hurdle, we, we still have, are like trying to get over when we talk to people that are in, in charge and try to get more soldiers to come and come through the course and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think we have to look at it holistically and that's kind of where Tika Tactics comes from. Uh, you, you should be as as adept at at every tool set that you have, whether it's empty-handed wrestling, grappling. Uh, you know, we 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 love martial arts, but again, we're non-denominational, and that goes with tools as well. So just try to learn as much as you can, be as skilled and versatile as you can be. Yeah, agree, strongly agree. So a couple more questions, and then we're gonna start wrapping it up. Uh, you mentioned Jared Wahangi before. Have you had an exposure to his uh, Tricom training system? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you, you know, he kind of, the cool thing about Jared is that he kind of gives me the, the, behind, the behind the scenes stuff sometimes. Uh, I unfortunately have not been able to attend his his seminars in Tricom, but he, he, he does show me a little bit here and there, just pulls me aside. And um, and I think it's a really cool system. It's a, it's a way to, it's a way to combine the traditional martial arts of, of Kali, of Kiti Tursha, with his police background. And so it's kind of defensive tactics plus Kali combined into one mixed in with all his real world experience because he's been a police officer for, I don't know, probably 20 years. And he's had to go fight a lot of bad guys. You know, he's had to arrest them. He's had to 
he's had to fist fight them, that kind of thing. Um, and so he's adapted all of his knowledge and experience into a system that's very easy to teach other people. And and again, we're we're not a denomination, so I have no problem, you know, highlighting what we feel are, are really good. And if people want to train in that, that's even better um, than not training at all. And so, yeah, Tricom, a very uh, effective, efficient system and easy to teach other people uh, from what I've, what I've seen. Um, the emphasis is obviously on police officers. So a lot yeah. of the, the grappling techniques involve how do you, how do you control them so you can arrest them? Um, but the, the, the way I look at it is if you're a civilian and you don't have handcuffs, if you've controlled them, then great. Now, now your friend can call 911 um, or other bystanders call 911 while you hold this person down. So uh, I don't want to poo-poo it if you're not law enforcement because it's it's still very effective. You, you'll definitely save lives, whether it's your own or, or somebody you know. Cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd looked into it a little bit. I just hadn't uh, hadn't deep dived very much into it or taken any of their courses or anything like that. So mm-hmm. just, just kind of curious. All right. Any um, And then obviously now we're, we're today you're at Tiga Tactics. So what are you currently training in? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me yeah so with with tiga tactics uh you know our whole emphasis is to teach people how to to defend themselves and their loved ones on the street and so really there is no style or system for that you know fighting is fighting violence is violence so you have to kind of build a foundation that is systemless stylist almost i don't i don't want to get too uh you know crazy <laughs> about this or abstract about this but but you know there's 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 effective striking there's some you know effective grappling not necessarily on the ground but you know like controlling people uh there's effective use of weapons you know and uh, whether that's the knife gun flashlight tactical pen what have you and and so we we're trying to bring that to mainstream audiences, to to soccer moms, to older people, to younger people, to students, you know, any anybody who's who not might not necessarily have any martial arts training at all, as well as to people who have had tons of martial arts experience, right? Uh, so we we you know if you go to our Evan, you've been to our in person seminars, you you've seen the the gamut of people we get. You know we we get you know so wide, yeah, it's insanely we get, wide. We get everybody from like brand new beginner pacifist to 30 year martial arts master and everybody in between yeah and, we'll, we'll, and, we're gonna dive into like the benefits of like why you need to go to a tiga tactics seminar on a, on a later episode but mm-hmm. i do just real quick the with that range of experience you also get something that i haven't experienced which is the range of styles right because if i go to a mm-hmm. bjj seminar it's all bjj presentation i go to you know, Jeet Kune Do or Karate or, uh, right. It's all those, all those niches, right? So you're just surrounded by other people like you. What I really liked about Tiga was I, I showed up and it was like, the guy to my right was BJJ. The guy to my left was MMA. Two people down was, um, you know, uh, Penjek Salat. Uh, mm-hmm. Three people down was Aikido. Four people down mm-hmm. was Muay Thai. You know, it was just right. like, it was super cool. And then even with like teaching the strikes, seeing why, h- how they, they do some of the, like, I'm talking simple stuff like mm-hmm. throwing a cross or throwing an elbow and then mm-hmm. just seeing the different styles and watching them, how they do it. And then like, sometimes I'd ask follow-up questions like, Oh, why do you do an elbow that way? And it's like, Oh, well, you know, if I'm throwing an elbow, I'm already really close. So I'm going to go right into the takedown. And it's like, ah, mm-hmm. okay. That's mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. the MMA guy is like throwing his whole body behind the elbow because mm-hmm. he's going right into the clinch versus right. some of the other people are like, they're trying to stay standing and keep that distance. So right. super uh, yeah. cool experience anyway. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And th- and that's that's the to me that's the beauty of training in person and and teaching a Tiga Tactics seminar because we do we do attract a wide range of people and because we are non-denominational, we believe that everybody should train in whatever system they want. We make our combatives, our Tiga Tactics combatives kind of almost modular in the sense that you could take our uh, architecture, our blueprint and insert your own system into it and it still work to me 100%. that's the, yeah that, that's the beauty of tiga tactics combatives is that it's it's more of a a framework or guide and you can interject whatever system whatever weapon whatever style you like and it'll still work and i love that i love watching different people throw in their own flavor to our recipe 
you know, they, 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 they might throw that, like you said, the elbow differently. They might, they might be setting up for a sweep or they might be setting up for a weapon draw. And, and yet it still works within Tika Tax Combatives because, as I said before, violence is violence. There is no stylization when it comes to a life and death situation. And so what we've done is we've kind of broken it down into like the the bare the bare movements that humans use, and how you get there is really it's it, how you get there is all the same. Everybody, you know, if you have two arms and two legs, like Bruce Lee said, you're going to move a certain way. And so we've kind of figured out those patterns, but the stylization or the flavor, the 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 the, the spice is up to you uh, on how you yeah. want to execute certain things. So. Uh, so, so that's the really cool thing about Tika Tax Combatives, and 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 especially training in person at Tika Tax Combatives seminar. Um, yeah, but you I, did. Add, if there was such a thing as like the martial arts king of the world that had authority over everyone, I would make people learn Tika Tactics first, and then whatever other style they want to learn after to like build on that baseline. But I think just like the knowledge and the material you bring um, as a first layer is just very important for people, uh, both with uh, you know a lot of the sayings and the mindset, skill set, tool set, and then uh, just some of the the basic counters of like what real violence is going to look like on the streets. Mm -hmm. That's wow, that, again, my two cents. Yeah, yeah. No, that's your two cents is worth like $200 compared to everybody <laughs> else. So that means a lot coming from you. Uh, if for, obviously, if you're listening for this, you, you might have an indication of what, what Evan does and who he is. But, uh, you know, Special Forces Soldier and, and uh, Obstacle Course Racing Champion. Uh, you've got like this wide knowledge yeah. of human movement, and so to, for you to say that about us is that 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 oh, I'm I'm humbled. I'm that that's awesome. Thank you so much. And I I would also wait, you're welcome. I would also add it into like the so the army has a combatives program which I've mentioned right, but mm -hmm. it's fo it's focused on it's focused on combat, which is what it should be mm -hmm. focused on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I if again if I was king for the day in charge of all army all army combatives, I would add a another course that is focused on what I'm doing when I'm not actually in combat, right? Because I'm on leave, mm -hmm. I'm traveling around foreign countries, I'm not mm -hmm. in my kit, I don't have my long gun on me, I don't have my, I may not have my sidearm on me, sometimes I do. Um, right. But to me, like, you take, right, the Army loves doing all these, like, online training courses. Again, if I'm chief of staff of the Army for a day, mm -hmm. I would make T, I'd be like, all right, one of our online courses is now Tiga Tactics. Learn this <laughs> stuff because it's going to keep you safe when you're on leave, when you're not actually doing deployment stuff. So, right. I just find a lot of value in it, which is again is why I've I have latched myself onto Tiga Tactics. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. That means that means the world the world's left. So I keep the more episodes we put out, the more I, I feel like at some point someone's gonna be like, Oh, Tiga Tactics three, right? Like Conrad, Patrick, and Evan. And I'm gonna be like, <laughs> right, oh, right. like No, not really. It's it's really two. And I've just I've just clung on at this point. So. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. We appreciate it. We we love we're honored to have you be a part of uh, our triumvirate and so uh, that that means a lot to us um but but yeah that i i would you know, be awesome to train the army or to any military branch i think what we teach is not again it's not style specific it's not um you know there, there's no true believers in our system other than to believe that it is effective Right. And so that, that would be awesome to train military police as well. And, and we do um, on an individual level, but uh, but to teach whole agencies, that would be that would be an, an honor and a pleasure um, yeah. to, to go back to your other question. What you know, what, what do I train in now uh, personally uh, outside of Tiga Tactics? I I still teach Kali every week, um, but I am a student of Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu at Rounders MMA Fullerton. Um, I you know, taking Conrad's advice and just dived headfirst into these systems. Um, and what he said was true. He, he told me years ago, but I kind of, you know, kind of, I'm a little slower than Conrad, as you can see. And so I'm a mere mortal. He's a demigod. I'm a mere mortal. So it took me a little, little longer to, to understand what he meant, but you got to really do these two systems or, or any combat sports really when you're relatively young. And so, uh, I did Muay Thai and I was like, okay, this is kind of like karate, kind of like Kung Fu. Yeah, I can do this. No problem. I'm begging with, you know, 18 year olds, 20 year olds, and I'm keeping up with them. I feel good. That's cool. Uh, but when I started deep diving into Jiu Jitsu, I was like, oh my God, this is the most abusive <laughs> art I have ever studied. 
And the weird thing is that nobody's striking me. No one's kicking me. No one's trying to poke up my eyes. But yet I am being just totally smashed in jujitsu. And I didn't quite understand why until now. And I should have listened to Conrad much earlier. But but yeah, it's just a grueling martial art. And it's not necessarily because you're being hit a lot or you're, you're being, uh, you know, people are trying to kill you. I guess they're trying to kill you, but in a very friendly intimate way <laughs> you know what i mean just put, trying to put you to sleep before you die right right exactly and um it's a you can't there's no you know as you know you're you're blue belt now so you you've definitely earned those stripes in that color it's a lot of hard work to get to that level i'm still just uh you know i'm still just a white belt i'm getting smashed left and right and it's the whole thing the, the whole training if you're if you're with a really good jiu-jitsu instructor from beginning to end, your whole body is being used consistently and constantly um, and intensely. Uh, you know, whether it's the the, the warm ups, the rolling, the the drilling, the sparring at the end, you're always being taxed in some way. And if you're if, unless you grew up as a wrestler, then it's no big deal. You know, you you're very used to this. But like for a stand up guy like me who've only done stand up martial arts, there's a whole nother level of training. And it's as I'm aching, I'm sore all the time. Uh, my neck always hurts. My fingers are all I feel sprained. This. I feel all this. Yeah. <laughs> my right now, my left wrist is sprained. My my ring finger never healed, so it doesn't bend properly. And my my right thumb is all messed up. So it's uh yeah. it's been a journey. Yeah. What one of my toes is purple right now because um, I I tripped going in for a takedown uh, mm-hmm. last week, and so now it's purple. And then I have a a black and blue on the inside of my thigh. I guess, I guess someone was forcibly trying to open my guard and I didn't mm-hmm. want that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I went to, uh, Kali, uh, last night and I was like, what in the, what is going on in my thigh? <laughs> Giant black and blue. Right. I, right. I remember hurting after, but I was like, yeah, it's probably nothing. And then, right. uh, yeah, they must've must got that elbow in really good. Yeah, they must've. Yeah. I, I don't remember who it was or when it was, but it, it, they obviously did some damage there, but I think all that's part of being a well-rounded martial artist, right? You need to be comfortable on the ground. You need to be comfortable standing. You need to be comfortable with, you know, striking weapons. You need to be comfortable with shooting weapons. I think that's all part right. of that whole experience. And um, again, I've taken, I've, I've, you know, looked at some of your past and some of uh, Dr. Conrad's past. And I've, I've, again, I feel like I, when I find something that I think this works and is intelligent and, um, smart, right? I, I, I mimic it, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have taken a lot of my, my, my martial arts, a lot of traditional stuff. And my next time we move, I plan on focusing even like mostly on Muay Thai and, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's my, it's my future plan for, uh, that little bit down the road, but I still, I, I also still like enjoy doing some of those, you know, traditional stuff and seeing where they came from and why they were created that way. And, why they they teach things a certain way mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. i think when you when a lot of like combat sports guys go and look at traditional styles they're like well why do you do that that's stupid it's a waste <laughs> of time and you're like what well, not a waste of time like it has a different purpose you know right, so like right. yeah i like i like to use the toolbox uh analogy right so like mm-hmm. in the army we say if you're a hammer everything looks like a nail mm-hmm. um but you know, you ask someone like, "What's a better tool, a hammer or a screwdriver?" And it's like, "Well, mm-hmm. well, depends depends what I'm trying to do, right?" right? So there's, you know, d- it depends on your like we were said in the beginning of the podcast. It depends on your goals going into uh, training a specific style. Um, you right. know, BJJ may be great for someone; it might be terrible for some people, right? Exactly. Muay Thai might be great for people. Might like some people may do better in Tai Chi or uh, Wing Chun or mm-hmm. you know whatever. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really what your, your, your goal is. And then you, you find the art that will fit in that, uh, unless you're a martial arts nerd, like me, you and Conrad, then we'll try to learn everything <laughs> humanly possible. But, but if, if you only have a, you know, if you have a specific goal or you only have a certain amount of time that you definitely want to look for a system that, that fills that purpose. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, there's the combat, you know, I, I look at, at these things in three aspects because we're, we're all about three, that you know tiga tiga tactics tiga means three uh so i think of the first one being traditional martial arts the second one being combat sports and then the third being combatives or reality-based self-defense and to me to be a complete warrior you should be exposed to all three you don't have to dedicate your entire life to all three 
but you should be exposed to all three so that you know the different contexts and how each one fits in in, in that realm. And you can always steal from each realm. You know, <laughs> there's a, yes, there, yeah. you, there's always something to learn uh, from everything. And so if you're only focused on combat sports, you know, and I encounter the same people. Actually, I even encounter snobs within combat sports because I know guys who like, I only do no gi jiu-jitsu. Gi jiu-jitsu <laughs> is so fake. Huh, you, who the hell wears a gi on the street? And I'm thinking, bro, have you never worn a jacket before? Right, like, <laughs> you never worn a jacket. That's always my favorite. It's like, do you walk around with no shoes on, shorts, and like right. a skin-tight top? It's like, right. is that how you always walk? That's so weird, man. Like, yeah. I think that's weirder than not wearing it. <laughs> the jacket thing right so so you have these snobs who are just true believers in just what they do and i think when you close your mind like that you're gonna miss out on all these amazing other things that you could learn and possibly adapt in a different way that you never thought of um and and i'm sure conrad delved into his his c-lot background and uh i'm also learning c-lot from him too so that's another art that i'm I'm learning um but uh c-lot is a great system because you can learn a concept and then you'll see that concept in all these other arts. And you're like, oh my God, this move I'm doing in jujitsu, that's the same move I'm doing in Kali. And it's because Silat taught me that. Mm. Interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, when we get together again, I'll show you one particular thing that, that uh, but you know, the whole idea, like in jujitsu, there's framing, right? You got to frame right, like yeah. someone's on top of you, right? That movement, when you do a frame, that shows up in almost everything. In all the martial arts I've learned, and I'm like, oh man, I got, I got to share this with with Evan and Conrad because it's it blew my mind when I realized that. So yeah, there's so if you if you close stay close minded, you don't see how those things apply, and you can actually make it better when you see that crossover. Cool, yeah. But one of the uh, one of the guys I work with, it calls the the narcissism of small differences, right? Like people, (laughs) people, people like like the no gi guy and the gi guy have exponentially more in common than the mm-hmm. nogi guy and the guy who doesn't train martial arts at all right? <laughs> right you know like i mean it's not even close it's like 95 percent they're similar yeah. it's just a small mm-hmm. difference and the mm-hmm. same thing even with you know the guy who trains brazilian jiu-jitsu and the person who trains you know wing chung or tai, mm-hmm. tai chi like karate name this name the martial art the fact that you're training any martial art makes you have a lot more in common than with someone who doesn't train at all so um, absolutely i always enjoy you know even if i don't like personally like want to practice that art i always enjoy just hearing what other martial artists have to say and uh here i especially like i really enjoy the lot the logic behind their system and the why i think that's mm-hmm. really fascinating so yeah uh, i learned in j- journalism the most important question you can ask is why uh because the why will pretty much answer the whole purpose of the answer you know and especially in martial arts you learn the why and it's like wow it's so cool i learned the culture, the history, the language, everything. Mm. Good stuff. All right. We're going to start. We're actually going to start wrapping it up now. I know we talked a lot longer than I was planning on. Uh, any final things we need to say? Shout outs we need to give before we get going? Uh, no. Well, first, thank you to you, Evan, for 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 hosting. Uh, this is a really cool experience. I very rarely talk about myself, so it's kind of an odd thing to do. But lo and behold, I did a lot of talking, so... So I, I appreciate the effort. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's who's listening. Hopefully you weren't bored by my biography. Uh, it's it's like reading a resume, you know. If you're into it, then it's interesting. But otherwise, hopefully I've I've entertained you guys. And, I thought uh, it was good. Oh, thank you, thank you. And uh, you know, obviously thanks to to Conrad, uh, my my co-founder. Uh, doing team tactics with him is is such an honor, and I hope that everybody listening gets a chance to to join us train with us in person because that's our favorite kind of training is training in person but if not you know check out our uh, online programs as well and our social media uh, hopefully we give you bring you some value and just, if, if nothing else just have you thinking about your own personal protection that that's an extremely important thing especially with the chaos going on today so i appreciate you and hopefully um bring you some value today yeah so any of our listeners, just make sure you check the show notes. We'll drop some links down there for uh, online courses that are available. If you want to see a little more about it and learn what Tegatex is all about, great opportunity allows you to train from literally any place in the world. And then we'll drop uh, yeah more links in there for articles we got coming out. I got a bunch of articles I wrote for Tactics that should be publishing sometime around this pod- when this podcast drops. And uh, we'll also keep it, you know, make sure you check on the website for updates on seminars or webinars that we're putting out. 
All right. We'll uh we'll catch everyone later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.